Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Well, today Russia announced it has successfully test-fired a nuclear-capable intercontinental ballistic missile. It says the missile has the biggest hitting range in the world. So how does this change the calculus when it comes to Ukraine or the U.S.'s own nuclear armaments? To help us break all of that down, Andy Field joins us, ABC News correspondent based in Washington, D.C. Andy, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Boyd. Yeah, this is not, uh, at least on the surface, doesn't seem like a good thing. Uh, President Putin uh, called to congratulate his Russian armed forces on the launching of the Sarmat uh, missile. It's an intercontinental ballistic missile, meaning that it can launch it from the continent of Asia or Europe to another continent like India, Africa or uh, North America. And uh, that is never a good thing, especially when you can slam a nuclear weapon on the top of those things. And uh, Putin publicly said that uh, the Sarmat uh, test launch is, quote, to make those who try to threaten Russia think. Well, that certainly wakes you up when, when you see a foreign country and a madman who is invading another country for absolutely no reason uh, saying, hey, I want you to think about the fact that we have nuclear missiles and we can use them. Uh, the U.S. is kind of downplaying this a bit only because it says uh, the Russian authorities called the United States saying, hey, we're going to do this test launch. Don't think it's we're attacking you. It's just to see if our rockets work. There's nothing attached to this thing. It'll end up in the ocean somewhere. Uh, and it's something that the United States was set to do itself just a couple of weeks ago, but it canceled that test. In large part, we're told from the White House, because they did not want to uh, threaten uh, any kind of action on the part of uh, Russia retaliating against us or make it look like we're trying to, to ratchet up this conflict. And it seems to me that this is a uh, going to be kind of the constant battle of uh, ratcheting up and ratcheting down <laughs> the rhetoric uh, as things play out. We know uh, last week that Russia sent a an official uh, communication to the White House uh, talking about uh, the U.S. applying arms and, and uh, weapons to Ukraine, saying that those who did this uh, could experience... Uh, unpredictable consequences, uh, and clearly this kind of show of hey, we can uh, we can get uh, a rocket and a missile that will reach your shores uh, has to be part of this whole dynamic of the the rhetoric ratcheting up and and back. It's one of the big uh, dilemmas when it comes to trying to figure out how to end this attack by Russia. 
Uh, and one of the reasons NATO and the United States has not uh, done a direct conflict or direct standoff with Russia, knowing that you've got a guy who seems to be really unstable at this point uh, with uh, a whole arsenal of nuclear weapons at his disposal. When what does someone like that do when they're backed into a corner? You know, would would that person fire one of these weapons and start an apocalyptic World War Three? Their calculations are he might, which is why they're trying to handle this with kid gloves, and it doesn't seem to be working. Yeah, and that, and that leads to another question I think uh, many, even in the Pentagon, have been starting to ask, and that is, you know, all of these uh, threats and ratcheting up of things by Vladimir Putin, uh, have most of them have proved p- pretty hollow, uh, even to the point where with this latest... Um, shipment that the president announced last week and tr- including those howitzers uh that there would that be united states military personnel training uh, not on ukrainian soil uh but training the trainers somewhere else in europe uh, so that the ukrainians could use those howitzers uh in their battle against russia uh, and so how does that play in in terms of some of these things have been a little empty and hollow from vladimir putin and yet you always have to keep factoring in that the the crazy factor and the nuclear factor factor well it's something that the pentagon's thinking about every day uh but the u.s has also made a point of saying that russia has not stopped these supply lines so for all its vaunted military power uh it has not been in uh the lines of military equipment howitzers uh weapons shoulder-based missile launchers and things that are all defensive weapons that the U.S. and NATO continues to pour into Ukraine. So it's a mystery as to why Russia has not done that, but so far it appears they haven't. And then what are you watching for uh, in the week ahead? Clearly this is a, a pivotal point in terms of what happens in the Donbass region. Obviously Mariupol is uh, is teetering uh, and, uh, and struggling there. What do you see coming up? And again, how does all of this rhetoric and how does all of this back and forth play in so what comes next? Well, what's happening in the eastern part of the country has been happening now for almost a decade. This is not a new war. Uh, Ukrainian forces have been fighting off insurgents at first. Uh, we're told by some of the experts, and I'm certainly not an expert on what's been happening there, but some of the experts that work with me tell me that uh, Russian regular army has actually has moved in there not just in the last month and a half, but they've been there for quite some time trying to bite off little pieces of the Donbass region, which is in eastern Ukraine, that Russia, uh, actually Vladimir Putin, thinks rightfully belongs to Russia and the old Soviet Union, and he wants it back. Uh, But they've been unsuccessful in doing that, and that's the extraordinary thing, that it's not just a month and a half war. We're talking about a decade-old war that uh, Russia has not been able to win in that part of the country. So by devoting all these resources there, is that going to change anything? We'll have to see. We don't know. Yeah, that's uh, that's a great point. And this has been going on for such a long time. And again, Russia has not been able to to prevail in that. Uh, it was interesting today, one of the uh, notes from President Zelensky of Ukraine uh, said that, you know, had these weapons and systems, uh, if they had had more of those early on, you know, perhaps they could have uh, pushed Russia all the way out and, uh, and had a different outcome uh, in terms of this. That's always a, a little bit of uh, hindsight. 
but but is there a moment? Uh, it seems like uh, the allies are a little slow on the uptake in terms of responding. Uh, and I think everyone is a little surprised. I don't know that anyone anticipated this going on so long. I think people expected Russia to be able to waltz in pretty easily. Uh, how does that impact the, the future in terms of negotiation and what the Allies do in terms of arming Ukraine? Well, in terms of negotiation, I'm not sure how Ukraine actually trusts anything that Russia says at this point. Um, or... You know, what are you negotiating against? Hey, I'm going to give you the land that you've just all blown up uh, against our will, and then you let us uh, take this little chunk of land, and, and that's the end of it. I'm not quite sure how this negotiation ends. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've seen other wars with Russia. They did not win a, a many, many years long war in Afghanistan. They basically were worn down and just left. Right. Uh, in Syria, I don't know that they've actually won anything there. Uh, they've basically just taken over. They and Turkey have taken over what the United States is trying to do to help the insurgents there. I don't know that any of that has actually ended. Right. Uh, so you know, they they have had successes in uh, Crimea and other places where they just rolled in, but they had a population that was kind of like, well, okay, fine. Yeah. Uh, but that's not what they're finding in Ukraine. Yeah, it is a different animal for sure. ABC News correspondent Andy Field, thanks for your perspective as always. We're going to step aside for Top of the Hour News, hour number two of Inside Sources coming up next. Stay with us. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.